Hello and welcome to JP Morgan's Global Data Pod. I'm Nora Santivani, and joining me today is uh, Mike Hansen from our global economics team. Hi, Mike. Hey, Nora, how are you? Hey, I'm all right. So today we want to do a research wrap focused on inflation and in particular the Global Inflation Monitor, which is our monthly monitor focusing on global inflation dynamics. It was published this morning. Uh, so Mike is going to um, help me talk through uh, the data and, and, and the outlook. Uh, as I mentioned, Mike is on global economics team, but more recently has been also wearing a US hat in addition to his other role. So uh, I imagine we'll be getting into a little bit more detail on the US data as well. Yeah, helping out a little bit uh, across the team here, but uh, let's let's turn to kind of a high level discussion to start with about what we're seeing on the on the global inflation front now that we have uh, March CPI data in hand. So I guess we want to start out with just kind of very high level, Nora. What are we seeing, and and what in the data may be a little bit surprising from what we were expecting. Right, so at the global level, we got a 0.2% month on month uh, headline CPI gain. Oh, that's effectively a repeat of what we got in February. And you know, the, mm -hmm. the dynamics were pretty similar to the previous month, whereby we had a large drop in consumer energy prices uh, that helped to bring headline inflation lower. Uh, you know, last quarter, we had a slowing in headline inflation at the global level to three and a half percent annualized from five percent in the fourth quarter. So pretty significant disinflation there, as I said, largely on the back of energy coming off. Right. I think, you know, the bigger surprise for me was really on core, uh, the fact that core disinflation effectively stalled last quarter. So core inflation actually ticked a little bit higher to 4.7% annualized in the first quarter. And that was a full one percentage point stronger than we expected at the start of the year. Um, to be yeah. sure, in you know, in year-on-year -year terms, we are getting um, disinflation both on headline and core, just to be sure. Uh, but I was just, uh, you know, surprised by this this stall in in the momentum in course. So I think I think for for us, that's really been the main upside surprise here. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's really notable, right? Because as you mentioned, we actually had a slight acceleration, and we were looking for a, a much more meaningful actually slowing on the core front. Um, and so that's clearly. Uh, uh, a notable surprise at this point. Uh, I don't think it changes our expectation that we probably have some more disinflation in front of us. Uh, but maybe talk for a minute about kind of digging a little bit into the details and, and focus on what we're seeing on the uh, sort of the food and energy side to get the headline out of the way, and then we can spend more time on core. Um, so as you mentioned, we had a, a pretty notable deceleration in energy. You want to speak to that for a second, and then what you're seeing on food as well. Yeah, sure. So on on energy, you know, as I said, we had uh, another roughly 2% month on month drop in, in, in February mm -hmm. and uh, on an annualized basis we're now seeing energy prices uh, falling in, in double digits. So that's really accounted for much of the downward momentum for global headline inflation in the, in the first quarter. Um, I guess we'll talk about the outlook a bit later, but I think a key point to make is that this disinflationary impulse from energy is, is probably now fading when you look at Brent oil prices, they are, uh, through April, uh, running roughly five percent above their March average, so that right. you know makes me think that going forward, we're not going to be getting this same kind of um, you know disinflationary impulse from energy. But yeah, through through March and through the first quarter, that really was 
a significant downside surprise actually to to where we thought energy would be at the start of the year on food look generally uh, surprises have been uh to the upside uh, through the first quarter, right. although in March we are seeing some signs of um, moderation. If you smooth smooth out all the noise that's coming from China in particular, then we do see food CPI gains moderating to 0.3% month on month in Q1. Um, so that's down from about 0.5 in the fourth quarter. So the annualized rate on food CPI is actually below 6% uh, for the first time since November 2021. And, and I think there's probably further scope for food inflation to come lower here based on what we're seeing in globally traded agricultural commodity prices, you know, things like the FAO food index, uh, which we use in our model for food inflation is down 20% on the year uh, through March. Again, that hasn't fully been reflected yet in consumer food inflation. So right. I, th I think I think the, the you know the biases for that to come off. Although, uh, as I said recently, uh, food inflation has been a bit stronger than our models have been indicating. Yeah, I thought it was interesting on that front. And we we talked about this in the daily kind of briefing a few uh, days or weeks ago. Now that it's notably coming off more on the EM side than it is on the DM side right now. Yeah, exactly. I think, look, for for food, uh, for DM in particular, I think, um, you know, there's a sense that perhaps, you know, things like distribution costs probably play a larger role right. than raw commodity food prices, which tend to be more important for, for EM. So I think just the generalized upward pressure on, you know, labor costs. Um, I think in Europe in particular, we're still seeing the, the pass through from the earlier uh, energy shock still feeding through. I think that's been kind of biasing uh, food price gains uh, to the upside across DM. Let's not forget that, you know, broadly speaking, growth has just held up so much better at the start of the year right. than right. we had anticipated. So for me, that's probably a significant factor here in explaining some of the upside in, in core inflation. If, if you look at our global growth forecast, and you know, you've, you've also been writing about this recently, um, we've revised it up, what, like almost three percentage points since the start of the year. So this, I think more resilient demand creates an environment where firms uh, pricing power has just been stronger than, uh, than generally anticipated. And in this kind of environment, I think they're more inclined to continue to pass on to consumers any increases in their own costs that they're, that they're continuing to see. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, right? Because you know, as you mentioned, we are expecting stronger growth in the first half of this year, uh, kind of sequentially over time. And it's against a backdrop where obviously markets have been fairly you know, downbeat on the growth outlook. So, I mean, that's also, I think, an important contributor here. And it feeds into, I, I think, an important part of the broader discussion. This makes perhaps a good point to pivot a little bit more on the, the discussion around core, which is that I think a lot of people, particularly folks who have been in you know, the, the transitory inflation camp, very focused on the idea that supply chain uh, distortions have eased. And that's a really important source of disinflation. And we obviously don't discount that. There's an interesting question of how much of that is left to still play out. But the stronger economy does, of course, mean that you have stronger labor markets. It means you've got stronger consumer demand. And so that channel of inflation is still potentially very relevant, right? In fact, that's the thing that probably is keeping central bankers awake at night, much more than the supply chain. So that naturally, I guess, leads us into talking a little bit more about the details around core, because we have seen interesting dynamics, as you alluded to at the outset, between what's happening in goods and what's happening in services. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, just maybe taking a step back and um, unpacking a little bit the surprise encore uh, that I mentioned for the first quarter. Uh, look, I mean, services inflation, as we all know, has remained very sticky and, and strong, but I guess that's not so much of a surprise given the, the continued strength we've seen in labor markets, right? Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. the bigger surprise for me has really been on core goods. And core goods inflation at the start of the year we thought was going to uh, decelerate to about a 1% um, pace. Um, in reality, it actually uh, rebounded a, a bit here in the first quarter. Uh, mm -hmm. And then through March right. is running more like a 3% annualized pace. So that's been a significant upside surprise. Uh, back in January, we thought, you know, there would be three impulses that would weigh on, on core, uh, you know, goods inflation. And, and, you know, the main one, as you mentioned, was really this normalization in supply chains. Then in addition right. to that, we were talking about a global manufacturing recession, which kind of happened towards the end of last year, but we're now, looks like we're rebounding from that. And then the slowly. third one, slowly, <laughs> tentatively, yeah, tentatively. Yes. Um, the PMIs, in any case, are, are encouraging yes. to some extent. Um, and then just further downward pressure from commodity prices, generally keeping a lid on things. Mm -hmm. I think in the event, you know, the fact that core goods uh, inflation just hasn't decelerated and, and in fact has picked up a bit, partly I think has been due to perhaps manufacturing being soft, but not as soft as we initially thought. Um, and then in terms of where the surprise has been, it's really been, I think, in Europe. Uh, so Europe just hasn't delivered the core goods disinflation we, uh, we thought. I think there, there's a sense that we are continuing to see further, you know, pass through from the earlier cost shock. So that hasn't fully run mm -hmm. its course. But what makes me think, you know, be a little bit more I suppose optimistic that um, we won't we won't see further uh, acceleration in core goods uh, inflation from here is is really the supply chain bottlenecks. Those have now more than fully recovered. If you look at the latest supply chain indicators, they show a complete reversal of the supply chain woes of the past two years. Um, PMIs as well showing pricing pressures fading. I like to look at the New York Fed's global supply chain pressure index because that synthesizes different aspects of the supply chain across a range of geographies. You know, it has things like the supplier delivery times from the PMI, the backlogs, the shipping costs, everything. The point is that indicator is now at its lowest level since the depth of the uh, GFC. So it's back below normal levels. Now, what we find in our, our model for global core goods inflation is that this supply chain pressure index affects consumer prices with a three to four month lag. So taken in isolation, that would suggest, you know, there's going to be some downward pressure emerging from uh, this supply chain normalization that hasn't fully shown up in the data just yet. I think the, the region where there's possibly most scope for that disinflation to come through would again be Europe, right? Because that's where uh, the upward pressure has been most acute. And now what we're seeing is that the impact of last year's commodity and currency shocks are fading, the supply chain distortions are fading. So everything really that you would put into a model for core goods inflation is pointing to deceleration. EMX China, likewise, I think it's positive that in the March data, we are already seeing some signs of this, this disinflation in core goods playing out. So for uh, the euro area, we see already a moderation to a 0.3% uh, monthly pace from a peak of 0.8. Uh, 
uh, for EMX China, we're down on an annualized rate to below five from six. So there's some tentative signs of some easing. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the, the big offset to this easing in European and EMX China core goods uh, inflation would be the US. Right. And I suppose I want to turn it back to you a little bit on yeah. this one because um, you know there was a there was a regional rotation, right? I mean, the U.S. was the first one to see a very sharp slide in uh, core goods inflation last year, but that's right. bottoming out. So where to from here for the U.S., uh, especially on core goods, and then we can talk about services as well, of course. Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting in the U.S. because you did get a bit of an upside surprise uh, on core goods CPI. Uh, and actually even more so on the personal consumption expenditure deflator, which is what the Fed is actually uh, you know, tracking uh, more closely for its inflation targeting. Um, and so I, I think some of that upward pressure we're seeing on the front end of the global is very much a reflection of what we're seeing in the US, right? As you mentioned, some of the most recent data out of Europe and elsewhere is showing a little bit more softness there. Um, it is against, of course, a backdrop where you continue to have a lot of strength on the core services side, which we'll get to in just a minute here. Um, but there's a couple of things that are kind of interesting on the U.S. side. I think one is we've had a very sharp run up in, for example, new and used vehicle prices, right, the last year or so. And that's very much a supply chain story, as you mentioned. Um, and they had come off sharply from kind of late last year, but have, have moved a little bit more back to the upside recently. Um, and so there's an interesting question about whether there's a lot more disinflation yet to come through that channel or not. We haven't really seen those prices reset lower, but it may simply be that there's enough residual demand out there that it's going to take time for that to, to come down, right? So I think that we're not expecting that we're going to get a further, you know, large acceleration in, in core goods CPI, but we're basically now running at something in the last several months that's pretty close to its long run average of zero. Um, so it's not clear that the goods channel is going to be a large source of additional disinflation as we go forward. And it really is going to be something where we need to focus on more what's happening on the services side. Yeah, exactly. So on the services, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it feels like there's some slowing in the, the shelter inflation component finally. Right. But, uh, you know, where is that going from here? But also more broadly on the core services ex sheltered, would we expect to see um, some easing, say, in the second quarter in, in that particular component, which we know Chair Powell has been quite focused on? Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. The, the shelter one um, is a little easier to track to some extent, because given the way that the data are constructed, uh, in the CPI, you're kind of looking at rental contracts that are in place for a full year. And so you know that, that there's going to be a lag in the adjustment there. But we can get uh, industry data on front end rental contracts, and those are, are coming down, have been coming down a bit. Um, there's a little bit of sign of some of them ticking up, but because the lag is so long, it's not going to impact the forecast for some time, and we'll have to see if that's sustained. But by and large, you know, we're now tracking uh, indications that measures of shelter inflation, you know, uh, owner's equivalent rent, other rental measures, have started to decelerate uh, from their peaks of, you know, a few months ago. We think it's going to be gradual. We think by the end of the year, we're going to go from something that's now running maybe at 0.6 on a monthly basis to maybe 0.4. Um, so that's a meaningful, you know, once you compound that for an annual rate, that's a meaningful slowing, but it still leaves us well above kind of, you know, what its average was, say, pre-pandemic or certainly, you know, in the, in the early aftermath of the pandemic. So that's a source of disinflation, but it's not like goods prices was actually deflating for a time. We're not going to see that in shelter. If we then turn to uh, Chair Powell's favorite measure, or what some people call the super core, 
which is core services excluding this shelter piece, which we know has kind of its own you know, persistent dynamics. What we're seeing in, in uh, core services X shelter X rent is its own surprising persistence. Um, it has been coming down much more gradually than goods. Uh, on the CPI side, it has certainly been coming down and it spiked a bit last year. And I think a big chunk of that is what's happening with health insurance, uh, which is a, a very volatile, though not especially large piece of the CPI, but it really is driving some meaningful downward movement uh, that we saw basically last fall that'll probably persist until the, the BLS does the reset again this fall. Um, it's unlikely that will continue to be as large a source of disinflation. And I think more importantly, getting back to something we mentioned a little bit earlier, that component is not really relevant for the calculation in the PCE deflator. And if you contrast what's happening in core services at shelter between the CPI and the PCE, and remember the PCE is the one that the Fed is looking at, a three-month annualized rate of growth of the core PCE deflator has basically been stuck a bit above 4% for now a good year and a half. Uh, it really isn't showing that much deceleration. I mean, you've seen housing flatten out in the PCE, and we do expect that will come down, um, but you're not yet seeing that in that core services X housing, the so-called super core. And so that I think remains a source of concern for the Fed. You do see that in, in the US, there's a lot of uh, other alternative measures of, of core that are out there, you know, things like trimmed mean and median and whatnot. Um, and those two are, have peaked on an OIA basis, but are coming down much more gradually. So I think this is a source of concern for the Fed. We do think it will come down, but come down relatively slowly, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, we have, uh, you know, core inflation still remaining well above the Fed's target at the end of this year and into next year. Yeah, okay, so maybe this is a good point uh, to talk in a bit more concrete terms about the second quarter inflation forecast or, or view. Uh, so from, from the global level, I'll start off and then I'll let you uh, speak sure. to the US if, if you want. So, you know, as I mentioned, the disinflationary impulse from energy is fading. That we think will keep headline inflation momentum pretty much unchanged in the second quarter. So maybe ticking even a slightly higher from what we had in the first quarter. Core inflation as well, we see limited disinflation from here. We do have um, the Q1, Q SAR uh, moving a little bit lower to about 4.4, 4.5 in the second quarter from 4.7. Um, over a year ago, disinflation uh, continues and actually intensifies as we have these base effects from last year's commodity price uh, shocks kicking in more meaningfully in the second quarter. So we have headline inflation dropping another um, one percentage point or so to 3.9% by June. Uh, core inflation eases maybe 0.3 percentage points. So it's a much smaller easing in core than in headline, which uh, you know makes sense with the base effects being concentrated in food and energy. And then we have core and headline inflation converging at around three and a half, which Mike, as you mentioned, is still kind of Right. Too, high, too high for comfort. Uh, in terms <laughs> of like the, uh, what regions are driving this, uh, core inflation sequentially uh, in China is uh, picking up in our forecast. It's been surprisingly low through the first quarter, but we do expect some acceleration from here. Uh, Euro area, very limited downward movement. So we have core gains holding above 5%. Uh, the US, uh, we have uh, coming off a little bit from five to about four. And EMX China from 5.6 to 4.7. So there is some easing in, in core inflation here. Right. Mm -hmm. um, 
for the, you know for the second half, uh, as I mentioned, slowing to about three and a half. I think a lot of that will though depend on the health of the global expansion. You know, the activity data, as we've mentioned so far, are not suggesting a strong deceleration, as strong a deceleration as we have in our forecast. So that doesn't really you know, bolster our confidence that we're going to get a meaningful inflation decline here. Uh, as I mentioned, the benefits of the fading supply shocks are are still helping probably to push core goods inflation modestly lower and food inflation modestly lower in the second quarter, uh, but still core gains holding um, at a quite, you know, strong pace of about, you know, four, four and a half, something like that. Mm -hmm. All right. Does that does that sound reasonable to you? Any pushback on any of that? <laughs> well, I mean, you, I think you highlighted the key question, right? Which is the, the forecast, certainly if we focus on the U.S. to start and then kind of broaden out, the forecast does assume uh, that the really boomy growth we have right now does cool a bit. And that, along with some cooling in labor markets globally, does allow inflation, particularly core inflation, to come down, right? And so that's kind of the crux of the question we've been highlighting for a while, right? Which is, we're in this environment where we know that a lot of the earlier inflationary, really strong inflationary dynamics are indeed fading, but it's unclear whether they're going to fade enough that central banks will feel comforted in the second half of the year, um, or whether that might remain sufficiently elevated that, that central banks are going to have to have second thoughts. Conversely, we have a very mild recession, for example, in the U.S. in our forecast, we don't have Europe or Asia slipping into a recession. And so, as you mentioned earlier, these growth dynamics, you know, obviously with a bit of a lag, but potentially could have uh, an impact. And if we're slipping into recession, say, late in the year, and, you know, whether it's the U.S. or elsewhere, and central banks recognize that, recessions tend to be disinflationary events. And you can imagine that central banks will be slightly more comfortable with the idea that a further disinflation is ahead. Mm. Um, if it looks like economies actually are uh, contracting right now, again, our forecast has a very mild contraction in the US and potentially not enough to deliver the kind of disinflation the Fed is hoping for. Right. So yeah. I think that's really the crux of the question for the forecast as we go forward. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, look, uh, growth dynamics matter. Um, certainly mm -hmm. this relationship between upward surprises on growth and upward surprises on core. I think there's definitely something there. Uh, right. We'll be watching. I think the, the first print for April is out of the euro area. We've got the flash uh, HICP where we're looking for another firm 0.5% month on month, which we think will uh, prompt the ECB to hike another 50. So, uh, you know, that comes on the heels of an upward revision to our euro area growth forecast. Similarly, in the UK, we've had a very strong number. So certainly it feels like, uh, at least in Europe, uh, there's uh, still more to go. And so, uh, yeah, probably a good uh, place to conclude, Mike, unless uh, you have any further comments. Just to, to finish up that thought, I mean, we're some, seeing something similar for the Fed in the near term, right? Mm -hmm. We're thinking that this week we're going to get... Uh, better than three tenths on the core PCE, and that's going to keep the Fed on track to do another 25 at the May meeting. We do have the Fed on hold thereafter because we are expecting the economy will gradually cool. Uh, and so that's obviously the thing we'll want to watch, whether in fact the, mm -hmm. the Fed's expectations around that cooling, particularly in the labor market, right? I think even more so than what's happening on the on the GDP side, what's happening in the labor market is, is certainly something the Fed is keeping an eye on because there's some very early signs of cooling, but it's still a, still a fairly hot labor market when it's all said and done. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mike, for joining me and helping me to unpack the latest global inflation monitor. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening and hope to continue the conversation on the next episode.